Welcome to the Saints Crown Show. This is a show for men who want to grow. In a world where confusion is the culture and passivity is the practice, we exist to take men from gaining massive clarity to taking massive action. Because we believe that if we can help bring order to your life, you can bring order to your world. Welcome to the Saints Crown Show. I'm Preston Woody, uh, co-founder of Saints Crown, and I'm here with my friend Zachary Reed. Hi. <laughs> also co-founder of, of Saints Crown, and I'm excited Hello. to talk with Zach today. We're going to be um, unpacking Zach's story. Yeah. Um, and from where he's been and and contrast where he is now, and I think it's going to be very inspiring to you. So um, let's jump straight in. Um, Zach, you have red hair. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I noticed about you when when we first met. And um, I don't have a lot of redhead friends, and I'm excited to have one. Yeah, talking about lies. There's a lot of <laughs> lies towards the redheaded community. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited for today. Yes, I'm honored to be able to share, uh, really, like what God has done in my life, and just a lot of the things, even uh, even like our men's group, and like meeting you two years ago, just some of the things I've been able to walk through um, to grow. And so that would really be the heart is like, let's grow and like, let's work through the things that maybe be challenges or situations that you've walked through. So talk to me about where does the story begin? Yeah. So for me, I, so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I was raised in the church. My my, my family was very involved in church growing up. And so um, for me, that was my environment growing up. And everything that I knew was in that bubble. Um, and it wasn't until I graduated from the, the private school that I went to at the church um, in sixth grade and moved to public school where I realized that I was living in a bubble. And so all throughout childhood from birth through sixth grade, um, I was in this bubble inside of this Christian community that we had grew, grown up in. And um, so it was quite a culture shock to go from that to public school, um, having not done like any kind of outreach or evangelism or anything like that to even really understand culture, um, it was quite a shift. Hmm. Yeah. And so um, from there, I was in public school, seventh grade, went to a small uh, independent public school district uh, in Bonner Springs, Kansas. And um, through that process was navigating like, how do I make friends? What do I like? how do you meet people and, and do all these things? Cause the, the kids that I grew up with in private school, like we like grew up together. And so, uh, the only friendships I ever had, uh, were those kids at school and also just my church community. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I feel like from the very first day, there were just these moments where I was like caught off guard. Like I didn't understand even how to, how to mesh, into the culture. And so for me, the first really couple of years was, I just want to like blend in. I don't want to, you know, try to do anything to, to be seen or anything. And so, you know, uh, would even like, even just in my attire, like I would just wear like baggy clothes and like, you know, big hoodies and stuff like that. Like, cause I just didn't want to, um, I just didn't want to like, cause any kind of trouble or anything like that. And from the beginning, I've always been more creative, um, loved filmmaking and web design and um, like art classes and things like that. And so going to a public school, um, there was already kind of this culture where if you were a guy, this is what you did. And if you were a girl, this is what you did. What were those things? Yeah. So if you were a guy, it was playing sports and, and that's what you were doing. And I think that's culturally kind of across the board, what most people 
walk into in, in schools, right? Um, and then if you were a girl, there was more creative classes and art classes and, and things of that nature. And so I always, you know, was gravitated towards the creative stuff. And so immediately it was hard for me uh, to make friends um, with other guys, like in middle school, transitioning into the school. And so um, I just remember even coming home that first week, just like literally in tears, like mortified that my parents had put me in this environment um, because I, I was not fitting in. Like there was mm. like, there was no fitting in. Do you remember the moment that brought you to tears? Yeah, I think it was just being picked up from school on that first day and realizing like the release that I didn't have to be there anymore. Um, oh. Because it was... So it was a relief of leaving that environment. Yeah, like it was It was like a survival... Like when I was there, it was like this survival mode of like, how do I navigate this environment? And then there was this release when I got in the car and my mom picked me up and my older sister was with me or with her. And I just like broke down. And they were like, how was your first day? And I'm like crying in the car. Um, and honestly, my first couple of weeks were like that. And so, um, so yeah, and I think just from that perspective, there was natural uh, interactions with other kids that because I was in the creative stuff and not the sports stuff, um, it just invited just comments, bullying, verbal bullying, things like that. Um, I was constantly picked on and um, and I didn't even know like how to defend myself or what I should say. Uh, cause I'd never experienced that. Like I grew up in a loving family. My parents are awesome. Both my sisters are amazing. Um, and I grew up in a Christian community. And so like, there wasn't like, I just didn't even know how to counterbalance huh. like receiving verbal bullying comments and stuff. What sort of things were they picking on? Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of hit puberty a little bit later. Um, so I had an, a higher voice. Um, again, I was in the art classes, the film classes, the technology classes. And so I wasn't even in the same spheres yeah. as a lot of the other guys were. And so naturally that brought on comments like you're gay um, you know, you're, you're like a, a feminine dude, like all that kind of stuff. And, and so that was like where the attacks really started were really just these mental, verbal, abusive comments that eventually led to, um, like, like thinking of myself that way. So you were profiled. Yeah. From the beginning. And like, and, and there was, uh, because I, I grew up in a, in a Christian community, there's always been, um, like, I've always just been more kind, I guess, like towards others. And so like, rather than, you know, some of the guys kind of being aggressive with each other and, and, and having, you know, inside jokes and, and kind of, uh, like that natural brotherly, and I didn't have brothers growing up either. So, uh, just the, the roughness, I guess, that can happen uh, in male relationships. I didn't have any of that. And so mm. I didn't even know how to, like, respond back to things. Mm. And so that's what kind of started that journey. Um, so I would have been seventh grade moving into that school. Um, at the same time, because I was hearing these comments, um, you know, you're gay, you're different, all of that. Um, I You know, we didn't grow up talking about homosexuality, um, same-sex attraction, any of that. That wasn't even like anything that we we discussed, talked about. There was no teachings from church on it. Um, so I didn't even know anything about it, to mm. be completely honest with you. I had no idea what they were even saying to me. I had to like ask people, what does that even mean? People were like, oh, that means that you're like into dudes and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, because I can even remember as like younger, like, fifth and sixth grade in, in, in elementary and middle school, like being attracted to other girls. And so I, it was like, it wasn't even a concept that made sense in my mind. And because we didn't talk about, it, I didn't have a grid or a framework in my mind to even like have an understanding. So 
you know, we grew up in the digital age. So I literally remember uh, going home and doing research on this kind of thing, and uh, which is naturally my personality. I'm a researcher. I love mm -hmm. learning. And unfortunately, that dove into me understanding what homosexuality meant mm -hmm. and led to a path of becoming addicted to pornography at, in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And so um, I knew how to bypass all of the locks on my computer, all of the parental controls, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was able to feed an addiction at a young age, um, which was really rooted in confusion. And so, um, so yeah, in seventh grade, I became addicted to pornography and started at that point, then associating the desires and the feelings that I was, the, the false feelings and desires that I was receiving at a young age while also going through puberty and hormone changing and all of that, like my desires and things started shifting towards that direction and I started believing the lies that were being projected onto me. So first you're profiled by yeah. these guys and called certain things. Then you go and you research it. Yeah. And then it's to a degree confirmed almost. Yeah. Confirmed and maybe affirmed. Yeah. And then you begin to think, huh, maybe this is how I'm wired. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, um, you know, I mean you innately know that what you're doing is wrong when you're when you're looking at pornography mm. or exposed to those things yes um, i mean we don't grow up in a culture where we're walking around naked so when you're seeing naked bodies and things like that on videos there's something inside you that's like this is wrong and so i didn't expose it to my parents i didn't expose it to a youth group leader or or anything um, because I knew that it was wrong, but yet I was still drawn into it through the temptation of it. Um, and so it just, yeah, it started at a young age, just this really unhealthy, addictive thought process. Hmm. Um, it's interesting that in, in within the four masculine roles of a man, you're a complete edge in the masculine profile of the poet. Mm. which is the poet who has the ability to bring meaning where there is suffering and, and to create music and art and yeah. articulate and bring, and bring that sort of thing where other people can't. And that was a pioneer role that you were given. Mm. And, and because you weren't necessarily called into it, something else was called out, that shadow role. Yes, began to latch on. No, I love that you said that. I had never thought about that until now. Um, because yeah, a lot of like growing up, the the gifts and the desires in my heart was, which is what we classify in the poet, to cultivate beauty. Yes. Like, yes. Um, and unfortunately, I was exposed and gave into the world's perverted view of that mm. and so I think we see this too like all throughout the creative community um, what we're not using to glorify God ends up becoming a perverted gift mm. that we use um, for selfish ambition or just to to further other agendas or things like that and it's a perversion on the God-given gifts and talents inside of us mm. so what, what happened next yeah so um, from that point you know, uh, going into high school. So eighth grade, you know, was more getting to know more people, things like that. I always had a very small friend group because um, it was hard to like open up to people and, and build relationships when you're like being targeted and bullied and stuff. And so I had a small group of friends, but I can distinctly remember the summer from graduating eighth grade and going into freshman year of high school, I like made a conscious decision like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to get bullied anymore. I'm not going to um, be seen as like a weakling. Like I'm going to take control and I'm going to consciously make decisions to not be on the out 
anymore. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes to be popular. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be with the in crowd, um, things like that. And so really freshman and sophomore year in high school were shifting in that direction. So my clothes started to change and I started hanging out with different kinds of people and, um, just started like shifting that direction. And so it wasn't until, uh, uh, my my junior year of high school where um, then I started partying because that's what the the in crowd was doing and it and it and it became this did you become more popular at this point um yeah I mean I had more friends I I would never classify myself as someone who was popular um, but I would say that my influence began to expand with relationships um, with some of the right people mm. if that makes sense and so you know, I would go to the parties, I would sneak out of my house, I would have friends pick me up down the street, and we'd go to these parties. And then that introduced, so on top of having, you know, a pornography addiction, now I'm introduced to alcohol, I'm introduced to smoking marijuana, um, and like this partying lifestyle. And like, I can remember junior and senior year, like that was the rage, like that was like what we did was like, okay, on weekends, we're partying like, who can host a party? How can we get alcohol? How can we get, you know, marijuana, like all this kind of stuff. And like, that was just like the culture of what we did. I mean, the high school that I went to is in a very small town. So there's not much to do when, you know, when there's not like other things for us to do. And so that's just what we did. We would, we'd hang out, we'd have field parties, we'd have house parties. Um, and so junior year, senior year, um, now I'm fueling different addictions. Mm. And because I still hadn't dealt with the feelings of being bullied and uh, things like that in middle school, all of these addictions are essentially just creating a state of numbness mm. like inside of you. And so it just becomes one addiction that creates numbness to another addiction that creates numbness to another addiction. And so um, this is why for me, now, present day, fasts, uh, our 40 day experience, like all of these different things is actually something that I find joy and peace in mm. from removing things mm. out of your life. Because I think we, we live in a society where it is, everything is so easily accessible um, that you can over, like overstimulate yourself with stuff. So I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke anymore. I don't do any of that. Mm. Uh, praise God that I was mm. like delivered and set free from addiction. Um, and so, but yeah, so that was junior, senior year, um, was eagerly looking forward to going to college. Um, I got accepted to a, uh, art school in Nashville, Tennessee. And so, um, graduated high school, worked all summer to save up money, then moved to Nashville to pursue a degree in film. And, I made another conscious choice. It was like in these transitional seasons, it was like, there's always these like choices. Right. Okay. And, um, so for me, what was that choice? That choice was I'm going to no longer go to church. I'm going to live the lifestyle that I want to live and I'm going to be me and do me. Like that was literally my thought process. And so I moved to Nashville, went to a liberal arts college, and... So f I'm going to be me and do me, and from yeah. your perspective, church got in the way of that. Yeah, church got in the way of that because at that time uh, in society, you were now starting to see shows that were introducing gay characters. Mm. Um, we were starting to see homosexuality and LGBT start becoming a thing, and... Um, at that time, we had even a president that supported that. And so there was just like these cultural shifts that were happening at the same time of me moving to college mm -hmm. where I would watch shows in high school where there would be um, a, a gay character. And I'm thinking, man, like this, this gay character has a boyfriend. It looks like, you know, he's like living his best life and, and all these things. That was never anything that I had been exposed to. And so it started to seem like there was a picture being painted mm. in society that this was 
accepted, okay, mm. and that you could easily go down this path. And that there's a place for you. Yes. Mm. And so then all of a sudden, now I'm affirming the feelings that I had been feeling that were really kind of closeted or uh, held in the background. Mm. I never opened up to anybody about anything I was feeling, mm. never had a sexual experience or anything mm. until college. Um, and that's because I gave myself permission to openly walk into that but still at that time like nobody knew mm -hmm. that I was walking through that and so yeah it's kind of interesting how at the same time of our country kind of affirming it and yes. starting moving it in that direction then I started to affirm it and um yeah we started moving down that path and so college for me was letting go of everything that I thought that I needed um and just kind of living in a more free uh really liberal lifestyle and um and just started um really unhealthy hookup situations um which again became another addiction and so here we are just adding all of these addictive things in my life um that really were just numbing the pain that i was experiencing because the reality is is that even with actively walking through all of these things, I knew deep down that that's not what I was supposed to be doing. You, you, you knew the whole time? The whole time. The whole time. There was not one time outside of maybe initially when I made the, uh, when I moved to Nashville and decided I'm going to like live my own life. That's when I really started buying into it. Huh. But even going through the process of, um, having an unhealthy sexual experience, I would leave that feeling defeated, feeling shame, condemnation, all of that, because I knew that it's just not what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I am grateful that my parents grew me up in the church um, because I think that, you know, like there's like science now that says like the first seven years of your life are the most impressionable yes. or impre impressionable yes. time period of your entire existence. And like, I'm grateful that I did grow up in a Christian household because that always still kind of became my guiding principle, mm -hmm. even if I wasn't actively following and running after the Lord. Yes. Um, I still kind of defaulted on that yes. foundation. And so I would go through these experiences and situations and I would know that that's not who I was supposed to be. And so um, really from there, I started living a double life. And so no one knew that I was walking that through. Um, no one as in back home. Back home, friends, uh, family, no one, no one. There was literally no one in my life um, that knew that I was hooking up with guys, like having this whole alternative lifestyle huh. behind the scenes. And I kept a front huh. of, nope, this is who... I am in public, and then this is who I am in private. So not only two separate lives. Did you did you not fit in? Yeah. But then you had to create a false persona. Yes. And continuously battle that. Yes. What did that do to your psyche? Yeah, I mean, it it, it splits things, right? And it gives you permission to uh, to live two different lives, and like even um, even in college, I had a friend who was like, "Hey, like I want." to go to church. And so, um, like I would even go to church services in Nashville and would feel the presence of God would feel this draw towards this connection and then would go and like also have this other lifestyle that I was yes. living. And so it's interesting how pornography introduces you to that because mm. no one knows that you're watching pornography. Yes. It's totally behind the scenes and normal. And so for me, that introduction and like, I'm going to continue to watch pornography at a young age had already started and created this like splitting personality mm. where I could do something in public and do something in private and no one would ever know. So what I'm seeing, hearing you say is one of the greatest contributors to that private persona was the practice of it through pornography. 100%. Mm. So would you, would you say that practicing pornography, pornography in, in private builds that persona for people? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's the only thing I can contribute to even just in my life 
being okay with living a double lifestyle Mm. because it started feeding the perversion at a young age and giving permission to not have to bring anybody into it because it's private something you do behind closed doors no one sees you know that you're doing that yes i mean unless you're caught or something yes that never happened and so yeah So, so. so what happened next so then um from there um I actually became more intrigued to join church again. Well, so what was the yeah. what was the pivotal point? Yeah, honestly, it was just a really great friend that I met in college um, who was passionate and on fire for God. And I was drawn to that because again, the role of a priest inside of every man, there's an innate desire yes. for the wonderings and things of God. Mm. And so um you know, I, I was drawn towards this individual. And so she took me to, um, some services and, and things like that. And I was like, okay, like, I think, I think it's time to kind of get back into church. And, you know, all this is happening within like a year and a half. And so, um, so I started going to church again and then two years into going to college, I realized that even the degree that I was pursuing was not really something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, the same friend, their family lives in Dallas and um, they were getting ready to start up an, uh, a company um, in the medical space and they needed people to, to work in the office. And so I was working this horrible job in mm-hmm. Nashville that I, I was not a fan of. And um, so her and her family invited me down to come for the summer um, to stay with them, hang out with them, do life with them, and then work in the business. And um, so I quit my job. We packed up our cars. We drove down to Dallas. And um, I was there in Dallas since 2013, outside of a short time span where I moved back home for a little bit um, to Kansas City. But yeah, so I lived in Dallas and the entire time I lived in Dallas was living a double lifestyle. Mm. So we were going to an incredible church um, that I was a member of for eight years. And um, I grew like supernaturally fast in that church because it was a leadership culture. And um, and so I started bringing order to my life in some areas. But then there is this whole other life that I could never like I never had the confidence or ability to be truly authentic with what I was dealing with. Mm. And so I just continued to live this double lifestyle. And at the same time, that's when, you know, apps started coming out on our phones and all this stuff that like feeds this unhealthy sex hookup culture. Yes. Um, And so I didn't even have to go to a club or whatever. I could pull up my phone and in a matter of minutes have a hookup situation planned and scheduled. And so that was like my life as we were building this wildly successful company. Now I'm making money. Now I'm, I'm still drinking. I'm still smoking. I'm still watching pornography. And now I can feed a sexual, um, addiction. Mm. And so that was my life for four or five years, like walking that through, um, as we're, we're launching this really successful company. And, um, and, and now I'm like, really, really living a totally different life because now I'm going to church on Sunday, every Sunday Mm. and putting on the face, speaking the language, saying all the right things, doing everything that I needed to tithes, offerings, all of that. And also living in sin, living in addiction, bound in sin and addiction and, um, not having an outlet of like bringing anyone into that. Mm. So, um, after that, uh, really what happened is, um, our, our company ended up, we ended up having to shut down our company, uh, due to some, some changes in the medical space. And that entered into a season of about a couple years where I stayed with the same family and we were trying to do a couple of different things in the business space and really things just weren't working. And, um, I got frustrated and ended up packing up my stuff and moving back home to Kansas city, um, for about a year and a half and got my real estate license and did some real estate for a while. But even then I, I knew I needed to be in a church because I'd been in church. And so 
found a great church in Kansas City that I was going to. And the Lord, uh, through the process of me joining that church, um, led me to like joining a small group and I joined a freedom small group. And what's so funny mm. is the, the pastor's wife was talking uh, to the congregation about these freedom classes that they were introducing. And she goes, yeah, these freedom classes aren't necessarily for people who are bound in addiction and, and all this kind of stuff. It's actually for like, like everyone should experience this. And like in that moment, I felt the Lord be like, yeah, you're supposed to do a freedom class. And in my mind, I'm like, why do I need a freedom class? Like, I'm not addicted or bound in anything. Like, I was in this delusional mindset. I didn't even realize the state of my health. Like, I had mm. no gauge of value. Like, like, we always talk about core values are like, um, like a dashboard of indicator lights. And they help you see when things are off. Like, I, I was all about values, all about culture, all about these disciplines, but like I wasn't living it, I wasn't implementing it. And so, um, so yeah, like I willingly signed up for this. It's to understand that. So it was yeah. in your head, but not on like your hands. Yeah, it was what we would say in my head, but not in my heart. Huh. Like when things take root in your mind and you have the knowledge of it, but you don't have it in your heart, it's really hard to live it out. Okay. And so at that time, I had a lot of this head knowledge happening. Um, I knew what I needed to do. I was just making the choice to not do what I needed to do. And so um, joined this men's small group at a church in Kansas City that was a freedom class. And I just started getting messed up. Like the Lord just started convicting my heart on every level that I was um, really like it talks about in James like, being friends of the world is really enmity with God. And I was like loving my friendship with the world because it was something no one knew about. And it was something that required me to begin exposing. So that's really where the journey started for me for freedom. I didn't receive full on deliverance and, and healing in that moment, but it started the process. So then fast forward a little bit to 2019 um, right before the pandemic, I was invited down by the same family to come back and start a different business. And um, it was really intriguing to me. And so I came down and we started building this company. And again, still bound in my sin, all of the above. And um, in that company, we were, we were raising funds, bringing on investors. It was going to be a whole thing. Um, this time I was invited to be on a C-suite position in the organization instead of kind of lower management and director level. Um, and so it was just much more responsibility. Well, then all of a sudden the pandemic hits, all of a sudden our investors are pulling out, everyone's going into lockdown, there's all of this stuff happening. And so that entire time period was crucial for me because it was in that time period where things got substantially worse, but then it was also the time period. What got worse? Like my addictions started getting worse and I would go from uh, like smoking marijuana, for instance, I would go from smoking maybe once a day or something to like smoking all day, every day huh. and just being just constantly engulfed in it engulfed and numb and and all of that because we were all at home yes no one knows what's happening right we know instinctively that a right. lot of the things that are happening is like it doesn't make any sense but like we're forced to do this and like there's just a lot of like internal confliction happening at that time um and so i uh i remember it was uh november of 2020 it was the last time that I had a hookup situation happen. And I remember leaving that hookup and the Lord like spoke to me mm. and was just like, you're my son and I have not created you to live this life. Like it's a lie. And I've called you to do greater things. And like, it just like, I remember like, like getting emotional and just weeping and breaking down. Cause it was the first time that I ever realized like, okay, things have gotten really out of control and it's time to start making a conscious choice to go a different direction. Mm. And, and it was all guided by the Lord. Like literally the Lord is the one that convicted me. 
And so I started just um, getting more involved in church and trying to build relationships with other guys and, um, and really just like do things God's way, like trying to live righteous. And so, um, but I was still, you know, having slip ups with pornography, but they were much more like they were kind of staggered now. Like it was like mm. I was actively making a choice to not do that anymore. Mm. And so I'd go a few weeks without having a relapse and then I'd relapse again. Yes. Like there were just these things, so, but I was doing it alone. Yes. And, and, and there still wasn't, I wasn't finding community inside my, in my existing church environment. And so, um, around that same time, moving into 2021, um, a friend of mine introduced me to the church that we now are both a part of. And what's wild is a month before that started happening, uh, this same friend introduced me to like the 40 day worship challenge, which was hmm. essentially a daily encounter. I just okay. didn't even have like a grid for it, but intentionally spending time with the Lord every single day, yes. like that was the goal and the yes. heart behind it. And, um, so I'd already preset myself up to be successful in the culture that we now are living in. Um, and so then I arrived at uh, Mercy Culture here in Fort Worth. And um, like my life has never, like mm. literally never been the same. And so um, I can remember uh, walking into the door for the first time and experiencing the worship service and like experiencing the presence of God and just being like completely blown away mm. that like this was real. Mm. Like my relationship with the Lord is a real thing. Mm. And like I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit of like the life that you're living mm. um, is like there's so much more than like the 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 false lies that I was living in. And so the second week I visited, um, they did an altar call and I just remember being like, I need to go to the front. And ironically enough, well, not ironically, but like the Lord's strategic plan, the guy that was preaching the day that I gave my life back to the Lord was from my hometown of Kansas city. Mm, wow. Another funny thing about that same preacher is I also got saved as a kid at another event that he was doing in Kansas City, happens to be the same preacher that's preaching at Mercy Culture that Sunday. Um, he does an altar call. I go to the front, give my life back to the Lord, and in a moment receive deliverance yes. and freedom at the altar from all addiction, all pornography, everything. Yes. And, and really what that did is that ushered in a time period of um, just this beautiful sanctification process where the Lord just had this grace that he poured out over me to no longer have the natural desire to want to watch pornography, um, to want to drink, to want to smoke. Like I can remember getting saved at the altar that day, going home, swimming in the pool, drinking a beer. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to drink anymore. And I'm like with people, yes. the same friend that invited me and, and another friend. And I'm like, I just feel like I'm not supposed to drink anymore. And then that friend's like, yeah, I don't think so either. And so like we made a pact. We're like, well, let's just like, let's just like give it up for like hmm. 30 days or something. And let's like see what happens. Right. So that was the last time I drank alcohol hmm. two years ago. And so, um, the Lord has just been my cornerstone of everything. Like it's because of my relationship with the Lord. He set me free from all of that. Um, you know, I was also dealing with depression and anxiety all during the pandemic. I mean, who wasn't when you're locked up at home and you're like stuck in your mind and all of those things. And so like I re received freedom and deliverance in that same moment. And so um, it's been a wild ride. And, you know, from that same time period, then the Lord had me go through um, the spiritual leadership school, which is ministry school at Mercy Culture. And um, I did one year of that. And the Lord took everything in my life and flipped it upside down. Mm. Um, I had been freelancing and building some businesses with friends. And the Lord had me shut down everything one by one as I'm going through this process at Spiritual mm. Leadership School. And, um, and then fast forward to the end of that first year, um, I was offered a position on staff to come in and help lead 
our housed visions, which are um, ministries that have been birthed inside the church that have one foot in the church and one foot out of the church. Mm. And the vision is that they go and they impact culture. Mm. And so what's wild is they're nonprofit organizations that we're building inside the church. And so now the gift set that I was using in the world, in the business world to build businesses, mm. the Lord is now using for me to help pour into the leadership teams of the nonprofit organizations that we're building. Mm. And so it's just really cool. So to see. you came from being a, a kid in junior high, being impacted by the culture yeah. to now, many, many years later, impacting not only the culture, but the culture makers. Yes, yes. And it's beautiful because our housed visions, they all have a different vision. Like they're impacting different mountains and culture. And, um, and it's been really cool to see how the Lord has strategically through all of life experience and everything has led to this moment to where now I, I have the honor and the opportunity to steward these things. And it just like, it blows my mind every single day. Mm -hmm. So, so then what happened next? Yeah. So, um, that first year of SLS is also the same year I joined your men's group. And so is that fall? Yeah. Fall of 2021. And so, um, yeah, so I just started SLS school and then I was also joining your small group and, um, honestly, just like the first time ever, like thriving in building authentic relationships with people where I could bring people in on where I was at yes. and expose it and put it out in front of me and then huh. have a framework of our culture yes. to be able to, to literally work through the issues that I was facing mm. and, um, you know, SLS prepared me to literally walk in the position that I'm, I'm stewarding now, but it also gave me the framework for evangelism mm. and praying for people and like in tuning myself to the voice of God so that I can do the things that he's called me to do and be obedient in that. And so the greatest lesson that I learned from SLS was to hear God's voice, to then be obedient to God's voice and then see the fruit of being obedient and trusting that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Like that was like the whole theme of like what I pulled out of that first year. And the fact that like what an honor and an opportunity that we even can hear the voice of God, that the creator of the universe who created everything wants to have a, a relationship with us. And so really the last two years has been just this journey of hearing God's voice, getting around strong Christian men um, who challenge me, who um, keep me accountable, who help me accomplish the things that I want to well, do. I'm curious about that. So yeah. you're you're in you're in uh, junior was it junior high where you were kind of poked at? Yeah, yeah. Um, from from there to now being a part of a men's group and you're yes. in an environment of men again. So what's, yeah. what's the contrast now? I think the difference is cause I was in a men's group, um, the eight years when I was living in Dallas as well. Um, but the difference was, is that the culture that we had in, in your men's group was vulnerability and, um, and transparency mm. and like being clear and having clarity on where you're at and where you need to go. And then now let's help you. Like we're not judging you for the things that you've walked through, but we're going to help you put a plan in place so that you can grow into the man that God's called you to be. And I think that was, and even just the framework of the four roles of a man, yes. um, the core nine, the first five, all the things that we're going to teach in this podcast and we're going to walk through in saints crown our business um, they were things that I was craving yes. that I didn't even know I was craving mm. because we all, we all have a desire for structure mm. and, and to bring order, right? The role of the king is yes. to bring order and my life was out of order. Mm. And so when you're living out of order, it's constant chaos, but you know that you know that you know that you need some kind of order. Yes. And so that men's group created an authentic environment for me to walk that through Yes. and have the tools and the framework and the foundation that I needed to actually start making, uh, I would say, leaps and bounds in my growth, spiritually, mm. physically, emotionally, all of it. 
Mm. Um, and so that first semester for me was in full authenticity, kind of operating in some of the shadow types because yes. it was new and, and I didn't understand like even how to have authentic relationships with other men. Yes. Um, I think that we were, sh- we were talking a little bit about that before the show started, mm. just about how that's another lie that even in, in male friendships, mm. being fully vulnerable and authentic with where you're at is like frowned upon. Yes. And it's looked at as weakness and yes. it's looked at as a feminine trait. Huh. Uh, when the reality is, is that Jesus has called us to be authentic and mm. he meets us right where we're at. Yes. And his grace is so good and his mercy is so good yes. that like it doesn't matter what we're stuck in. Like he he still paid the price so that we can be set free and delivered. Mm. And so that's what I feel like the introduction to the group really brought for me. And then obviously I was through spiritual leadership school. It's like getting hit with a fire hose four times a day, every single day. And the Lord just cleaned me and washed me and pruned me and cut things out and um, started introducing me to a healthy, healthy uh, foundation to where even the root system inside of who I am, I'm now planted in a church. I'm serving in the church. Yes. I have made the choice to be planted and to serve and to fully give myself to this process because I was seeing already the benefit and the fruit mm. of, of exposing things. Like I felt so free mm. when I could have like real authentic conversations with people. Like this is what I'm faced with. Like this is what I'm walking through. And like the, the freedom that comes from even just being able to admit where you're at yes. is powerful. Yes. And it brings a sense of clarity. Yes. You know, it's, I'm thinking through, through your journey and even yeah. in the context of how you came from not even knowing if you fit in to now where you are now. And even this last season of men's group, you weren't trying to fit it. You were leading a good majority of the men into their breakthrough moments, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful moment. I think we'll touch on that soon, but the the origin point of the deception yeah is the deception began with a little snake yep that you allowed into your 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 room fortress yeah right and then <laughs> it you you bring it in your closet and then yeah. you know and we we play with the snake and we then we the word that you begin to use is you begin to feed it mm-hmm. and then you feed it a little bit and it becomes a little bigger yeah but you can still keep it in your closet right yes so you can hide it away no one else has to notice but then two, three years go by, and this snake is turning into a stinking dragon. Yeah. And this yeah. dragon's not only encompassing your closet, but it's taking up your room. Mm. And you don't get to pick when it comes out or goes in. Yes. It gets to pick. Yes. And this dragon becomes so big that you get to the point where, wow, if I tell anybody that I have a stinking dragon in my room, then they'll know that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And can you kill the dragon on your no- your own? No. It's be it's so yeah. strong and terrifying that you almost cower at it. What can you do? And it only gets larger and larger, and it seems as if you get weaker and weaker. And so you're telling. So what, what I what I heard you say is there was a moment where you began to expose it. Yes. So first, like you admitted, you know what I've got a stinking dragon. Yeah. That I can't deal with. And then you began to expose it. Yes, and I think that was key moving into this whole new city, church, environment, everything is I can remember being like constantly faced with this decision, even like when I was in my membership appointment, all that kind of stuff. Like, am I going to continue the lies? Right. Or am I going to choose to tell the truth? And that was the decision that I was faced with constantly that whole first year were these decisions relationship building, small group, all these things. Like, am I going to be truthful Yes. or am I going to continue the lies? Yes. And I was tired of seeing the bad fruit Mm -hmm. coming from telling lies. And I knew that it was time to tell the truth. And so that's what like fueled really my why and decision was that I was going to be who God created me to be. I was no longer going to live as an actor as a double-lifed person, I wanted freedom and deliverance. And I want, and I, I started desiring things of the spirit because I was putting my mind on things of the spirit. Mm. And so the Lord just started uprooting all of the flesh inside of me during that first year. 
um, which prepared me for the second year of um, transitioning into a staff role and and helping lead these organizations. What was the lim- the limiting belief that you, that you overcame? Mm. I think the biggest thing was that um, I, for the longest time, I felt like no one's going to understand, you know, my sin is so much greater than everybody else's sin. Um, and that I couldn't actually, like, there was no way that anyone was going to be able to like relate or reconcile with it. Yeah. Reconcile with it or like speak truth into it. So it's too big. It's too magnanimous. No one can quite articulate yeah, or I mean, understand me. Cause really this all started when I was in seventh grade. So, so it's from childhood all the way up until this moment, what I mean, that's a substantial period yes. of time. Yes. I had my whole life been having this dragon yes. in the closet trying yes. to figure out how to slay it. Right. And it became exhausting. Mm. So the lie is no one can understand this. Yeah. And so I pushed through that and I was like, no. What's the truth? What was the truth? Well, the truth was just, I need to, like, in order for me to receive freedom, I'm going to have to tell the truth. In order for me to (laughs) receive freedom, I'm going to have to tell the truth. And so I just kept, like, every situation, every new relationship, every... um, room I'd walk into or meeting or whatever, I would just constantly say to myself, I'm going to share the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. And, um, and honestly now having walked through all of this, um, there's a great book out there called live not by lies. And you learn that a lot of like, even just what we're talking about in the last couple episodes about cultural lies and, and things like that. It's all built on lies. Yes. All like yes. the whole framework of everything is built on lies. The um, the trans agenda, the LGBT agenda, all yes. of that is built on lies. Mm. And um, I'm not afraid to sit here and say that, having been someone who's walked through yes. the lies and seeing the 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 bad fruit that's mm. produced from that. Mm. Like you can't even reproduce yourself. Mm. in those lifestyles. Mm. So it's like you're you're create like you're you're in a lifestyle that is producing even more unhealthy fruit and it ends with you. Mm. Instead of like being able to choose God's way, which the Bible says he created man and woman and to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and take dominion, you can only create a legacy and a family and continue on the bloodline through doing it God's way, mm. which is how he naturally created us to be. And so the attack on my masculinity, the attack on keeping me from that, really, that's the promise and the gift and the blessing that the Lord wants for me. Mm. But because I chose to go a different path the way of the world, that would have ended in death versus ending in continuing through legacy, continuing through life, blessing, Mm. favor, um, and like happiness. Like I'm so much more happier now that things are in the light, that I'm walking in the calling God has for me, um, and just doing things the way God had originally intended for me to to live. Hmm. So the truth has quite literally set you free. Set me free indeed. Hmm. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. Hmm. Those listening to this, um, I think a massive point of clarity that, that you're articulating, I think a lot of us can jump on, is what would it look like to only tell the truth? Yeah. What would that look like? Because yeah. I think it would be very difficult to live as an imposter or double-minded if you only spoke to the tr- spoke the truth, not only to those that you interacted with, but also yourself. And how can you have massive clarity if you're not giving yourself permission to speak truth mm. or operate in truth or like think about truth. Mm. Cause if you're continuing to feed lies yes. and feed um, imposter syndrome yes. and feeding the charade that you're putting on, you're continually funneling yourself into a deeper, darker hole that leads to nowhere mm. versus glory to glory, light into darkness, uh. and having actual real clarity. Yes. 
Because yes. our vision is to take men from massive clarity to massive action, yes. which requires you to speak truth. Speak the truth. You have to speak the truth because yes. if you're speaking lies, you're actually not operating in real clarity, real truth. Mm. So, hmm. then before as as we close, yeah. would you would you perceive that most forms of addiction, if not all, are rooted in deception? Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's counterfeit. Mm. It's counterfeit reality. It's counterfeit truth. It is like even just the lie of like, oh, well, that's your truth. Like, that's a lie. Like, there's only one truth. Yes. Um, and yeah, all of it is to, to breed deception. Mm. And it invites in um, counterfeit power counterfeit um, lifestyle. How would one go from part a lifestyle of partnering with deception to beginning to partner with truth? Yeah, I think for one, you have to be hungry and desiring things of the truth. Mm. And you have to be willing to admit that the way that you're currently looking at it could be incorrect. Oh, well, that's <laughs> the challenge right there. That's the kicker. You have to be willing to be like, oh, I could be wrong. And I could spend the rest of eternity in hell. Yeah. And so for me, that altar call moment, the altar call was, if you died today, do you know that you know that you know that you would go to heaven? And I was sitting in that seat, having walked through what I walked through and realizing, I don't know if I would. Mm. And so I'm gonna make the choice to run to truth rather than continuing to turn down the path that I knew led to lies, deception, mm. and death, mm. ultimately. If there's someone listening who doesn't know, what, what should we do? I would say, um, honestly, uh, turn to the Lord. Like, like, ground yourself in truth. Like, he is the truth. And um, part of the role of a priest inside of every man is this desire um, for spiritual connection, this, this desire that there's a higher power, um, that there is more to life than what we're currently walking through. And I believe that that's Jesus, that it's Jesus Christ who came to the earth to die for our sins, that we could spend eternal life with Heavenly Father. And so, um, yeah, I would just say that calling, that desire, that, that thing that you feel inside of you that is um, that is inside of the addictions and the things that you're currently living in yes. is a knock on the door from the Lord. Yes. And if you're feeling that conviction even now as we're talking about it, um, answer the door. Yes. Like open the door to the truth. Yes. Open the door to a life with Jesus. Let him in. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will begin to transform you mm. in your mind, in your heart, in your ways. And um, he will naturally start consecrating you, setting you apart, um, and introducing a life of holiness, which is really just pleasing the Lord and doing things his way. Yes. If anyone who's, who's ready to live in this like next level of truth and integrity, what's one thing that, as we close, that they can do to it? Yeah. Let's just pray, because I feel like you can invite the Lord in even right now as we're having this conversation. All you have to do is just close. You don't even have to close your eyes. You can just say, Dear Jesus... I, um, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my heart to rule and reign. I declare that you're the highest level of authority in my life, and I submit myself to you. And, um, and Father, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, forgive me of the things that I've walked through that I know deep down you've been convicting me of. I just repent of those things to you right now, and I just plead the blood of Jesus over me, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. That's all you have to do. Amen. Now you're born again, and now the Lord is going to transform you and send you on a journey um, to advance his kingdom mm. here on earth. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. And we talked before the show about one item before we, li we leave our, our audience of, of articulating your story, your journey. Um, real quick before we go, walk us through that. Yeah, I would say I've come from living a life of lies mm -hmm. to now walking 
in a life of truth. Yes. And it hasn't been easy. Um, the Lord makes things easy. His presence makes things easy. Um, but it still requires you to make a conscious choice that I'm going to pick up my cross and carry this every day. Um, there's a big misconception that once you become a Christian, everything in your life becomes perfect. And in fact, that's not the life that we're called to through Christianity. If you even look at the apostles, they were murdered, they yeah. were killed. There were yeah. all kinds of things that happened. Jesus was you know, killed. So I just, there's, it's a higher calling, um, but it's truth and it will set you free. And I think the deep desire inside of every man is to live a life of freedom mm. and be delivered and set free from the bounds and the chains and the things that hold us back in addiction. And so, um, yeah, that's well, what I can think of. No better way to conclude. Yeah, I can. Think, well, thank you for joining us on, on the show today. Yeah. And, and I hope to see you uh, next time. And uh, God bless. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for investing in yourself with us. And if you feel like, hey, I found my tribe right now, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Also, you can go ahead and take your masculine role assessment, or you can just find us on social media at Instagram at saints.crown. I hope to see you soon. <laughs>